Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. This is now my 11th Advent here at this church, and I realize it's been several years since we looked at kind of the basic question and the basic themes of Advent. Why celebrate Advent at all? What's the point? And there's still even some people in the church who think we're kind of pretending for four weeks that Jesus wasn't born, and so we're kind of like in the anticipation that he's going to be born in four weeks. I mean, that's just silly, right? I mean, it's a silly thought, yet people think that even in the church I come across that kind of thinking, like, well, we're just kind of pretending for four weeks so that it means more when we get to Christmas, The church year is structured in such a way, as we begin this new church year, to constantly have these periods of preparation, have these times where even though the world may not know what Advent is, and could it define it if you ask them, that the church steps back and says, we're about ready to celebrate the birth of our Lord. The most important birth in the history of the universe. Maybe we should step back, gather our thoughts, gather our hearts and minds so that we might actually truly really celebrate it the the way God would have us to celebrate it. Now, before I get any further, let me point out just very clearly, I don't think all the cultural things going on in December are necessarily bad. My family's watched a number of holiday Christmas movies already this week during break. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But in the church, we have to approach things differently. We have to realize, first of all, that there is a vast difference between how the world anticipates and celebrates Christmas and how we do it here in the church. There is a difference, and we must recognize that. Part of that is, and you can see by the colors up here on both the pyramids and the vestments, that Advent is a series of preparations involving repentance. It's a penitential season. Now, it even bothers people in the church, and so we have all kinds of changes have happened. People have switched to blue for Advent or done various things because we don't want to have to think about repentance and fasting and that kind of preparation before Christmas. Seems like kind of a downer, right? Why go through all of that to celebrate the birth of Christ? And one thing the church here teaches us over and over again is that to really understand a feast, to really celebrate a feast, there first comes a fast. More on that later. Advent, just from the, the Latin, it just literally means coming. And so, We're preparing for the coming of Christ. But not as if he hasn't come already. These are days of expectation, anticipation, of promise, of realization of promises, days of preparation, of joy, of serious consideration, days of consecration. That is, days set aside for holiness. That way, when Christmas does arrive, we can cry out from the heart, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord's. And the coming that Advent's preparing us for is not just to celebrate his first coming, though it does do that, 
his coming in the flesh. It also prepares us for his coming in judgment. And really, there's a fine line there. You can't really separate the two. To properly celebrate Christ coming in the flesh is to acknowledge and confess that he is going to return again. And then, in particular, in Lutheran churches, we talk about his coming to us in word and sacraments and all that that means for us. So that's what we want to do first, is look at these three comings of Christ, and then, specifically, how to prepare for them. So the first thing we have to prepare for is to celebrate his first coming. Again, it's not to pretend that it didn't happen. No, we're preparing to celebrate the incarnation. Not for the incarnation to happen, but to celebrate it in the fullness of joy. To really, truly celebrate what all it meant for us that Christ indeed came in the flesh. And how good of news that truly is for us. So in his first advents, we prepare to celebrate that he was indeed, as we confess, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. That he was made man. And that his first advent is described for us in glorious detail in the four holy gospels. And we just sang a beautiful summary of all of this in our opening hymn, Love caused your incarnation, love brought you down to me. Right? The reason for his first coming was out of his great love for you, to rescue you. And we see, and we even see it played out in our gospel reading today, that although he was the king of the whole universe, he chose to be born the son of a young virgin who had no status or power. He flips everything on its head. He was king of kings and lord of lords, and yet he becomes a helpless infant who has to be breastfed, who has to have his diapers changed. The Lord over all creation chose to live a life of poverty and service to others. Instead of demanding that his disciples serve him, he served them and so gave them an example to follow. The Bible tells us in John's Gospel he came full of grace and truth so that the Samaritan woman caught the woman at the well who had been living with five different men and the current one wasn't her husband. The woman caught in adultery that the men were ready to stone to death. Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector who had swindled lots of people out of money. And even Peter who denied his Lord on that most important of nights. And so many other notorious sinners, they found in Jesus a gracious and loving Lord. That's why he came. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That was the whole point. This almighty God, this Lord over all creation, this eternal judge of all peoples, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now we hear donkey and we think, man, it's just kind of a silly animal to choose. And yet, throughout the Old Testament, that's what kings of Israel rode on. It was common, actually, and considered a special thing. But the thing with the donkey is it's a symbol of peace. It's not a war horse. Christ came to bring peace. So he rides in, endured the humiliation, betrayal, the whipping, the mockery, and even crucifixion. And the strange thing is, right, if you stop there, 
if you just look at it there through fleshly eyes, through worldly eyes, it seems like the first advent of Jesus is just a failure. All this excitement for that, but it's not a failure. We know that. What looks like a colossal failure to the world brings about exactly what he promised, the forgiveness of sins. Everything he promised, he brought about in his death. Because he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He now sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And that's the second thing we're preparing for in Advent. Preparing for that second coming, that second Advent. That day when he will return to judge all. We had it last week as a theme. We have it again next week. It is built into Advent to think and prepare our hearts and minds for that second coming. Because then the fullness of all that he brought in his first coming comes to full realization. All things are made right. All things are fixed that have been broken by sin. He comes and brings with him a new heaven and new earth. And also we cannot ignore the fact, and we looked at this last week in some detail, in his first advent, he comes in humility to save sinners. In his second advent, he comes in glory to judge sinners. And as we talked about last week, for Christians, that is good news. That's still good news for us. It's not something we fear. It's something we joyfully prepare for throughout Advent. For those who have rejected Christ, it is not a day of rejoicing, but a day of judgment as they are cast into hell for all eternity. Which is also why, and you see this, like I said, especially in the Lutheran church, because we are a sacramental church, that we prepare for these things by receiving Christ in his holy sacrament as he comes to us now. He comes to us in his word and sacrament. He comes to you in all humility once again, not just today, but every time you hear the word preached, every time you receive the holy sacrament, he keeps coming to you. Listen once more to the words we heard spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I'll raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper, and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. We need to listen carefully to these words, because these words were written for us. For the church, for the new Jerusalem. All those who put on the Lord Jesus Christ who have been covered by his righteousness are part of the church. According to St. Paul, we put on Christ in our holy baptisms. What's interesting though, Paul makes this clear in Romans 13, right? This isn't like a one-time event, but that we keep putting on Christ. We keep doing it. We keep receiving his righteousness. We keep receiving his grace. We keep receiving his forgiveness. We're not a church body that believes, like, well, I was saved years ago in my baptism, and that's the end of it. I don't need anything else after that. No, we believe and confess that what was given to us in our baptism is of such precious importance that we need to keep receiving Christ and all his gifts that we be kept in our holy baptism. And as we receive Christ, our righteousness, and his word and sacraments, it's exactly what's happening. 
It's a glorious thing. Christ is present even now to clothe you in his holy righteousness. He is present now to forgive you your sins. It's not just that he came and that he is coming. Those are vitally important to us. But it doesn't mean a whole lot to us if he's not coming to us now, delivering us those gifts. So then the question becomes, why does he come? One of the themes we sing throughout Advent is because if you haven't noticed, it gets dark really early. The season of darkness. During Advent, we sing songs about being held captive by the prince of darkness in our works of darkness. So what does St. Paul says? He says, cast off the works of darkness. Cast them off. Get rid of them. Because what does darkness do? Darkness seeks to hide things. Right? This is the Bible uses this imagery all throughout. John, especially in his gospel. This idea that people don't come to Christ because if they come to the light, their deeds will be exposed. So it tells us men love the darkness rather than the light. They don't want to step into the light because then how filthy and unclean and sinful they really are is exposed. They do not want that. So what do we do? Instead of bringing our deeds to the light, we often try to hide them to bury them, to cover them in the darkness. We often do that with flimsy excuses. Poor excuses for our behavior, for our sin. We try to justify ourselves in the eyes of God. We try to say, yeah, maybe maybe I did those things, but I'm overall I'm a really good person. When we go on the path of darkness, when we try to hide our sin, we're just reenacting the same path that Adam and Eve started. What happens when God confronts them in their sin? The excuses start flying. Well, it's not my fault. It's, it's that serpent. It's the devil. Adam says, it's not my fault. It's the woman. You gave me God's. Really, it's your fault. You gave her to me. You put her there. We do the same thing. Think about how pathetic it was that Adam and Eve, after all of this, they hear God walking in the garden. What do they do? They take some fig leaves and they try to cover up their nakedness as if they could hide from the all-seeing gaze of God. And we look at that and we say, man, that's stupid. I can't believe they would try that. Really? We do it a lot. How often do we think well, if I just don't talk about it, it didn't happen. How often do we think in our own hearts and minds, if I just push it to the back, then I don't really need to confess it or come forward with it. It'll just go away. It's no different. It's a different form of fig leaves. Every time we try to hide behind our excuses, we're doing the same thing as Adam and Eve with the fig leaves. You're not the first sinner to say... Well, it's not really my fault. You're not the first sinner to say, well, I'm not as bad as them. Adam and Eve tried to. They blamed others instead of confessing their sin. It didn't work then, it does not work now. Your homemade righteousness, your excuses are just as flimsy 
and worthless as I mean fig leaves. What we need is a real righteousness. We need a righteousness that comes not from ourselves, but from God's. There's no gray area with this stuff. When Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead, he doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't wink at sin. God is holy. We are not. And so, we are to repent. Because the king who comes to save is not interested in our excuses. In fact, repentance, repentance is the true preparation for all three advents of Christ that we're talking about. Whether it's celebrating his first coming on Christmas, whether it's preparing for his second coming, whether it's preparing to receive him in word and sacrament, at the core of all of it is repentance. It's one of the glorious gifts of confession and absolution. So we confess in the catechism, it has two parts. First, we confess our sins, and then we receive absolution from the pastor as from God himself. We repent that we might receive the holy absolution. And all the other disciplines that go into Advent, or that should, whether it's our praying, our spending more time in God's words, and yes, even fasting, I realize that Somewhere along the line, in Lutheran churches, we came to believe that fasting wasn't something that Christians did. And not only is it all over scripture, it's all over our Lutheran fathers as well. What I would encourage you, Lent is not as much a penitential season, not as heavy as a one as, or Advent is not as much as one as Lent. Pick something small. Traditional fasting days in the church are Wednesday and Friday. Pick something to fast from, even if it's just one day a week, as part of your Advent preparations. Because part of what Advent is teaching us is to discipline ourselves. Why? Because we're always in the waiting game. When you think about it, your whole life, you're always waiting for something, right? Maybe even as an adult in your current job situation, you're waiting for a raise, you're waiting for a promotion, you're waiting maybe for the next job. If you're ill, you're waiting to get better. Or if you know you're not going to get better, you're waiting to meet your lords. When you're a child, you're waiting to grow up. We're always waiting. Our whole lives are about waiting. One of the things Advent teaches us is that in the midst of our waiting, we're to be busy with certain things God has given us to do. Because the Christian vision of waiting, the Christian view of waiting, is that we're always in joyful anticipation of what God's going to do next. See, the Christian, I really believe this is for all of life, not even just with his second coming, but we're always waiting in hope. Part of the way we wait in hope, we look to the future, know it's in God's hands, and know he's going to do what he promises. And so here and now, we wait in repentance. We wait in joy. We know that Jesus is coming. That he's coming to us here and now. That he came in the flesh to save us and redeem us. And that he's coming again to make all things right. And so our waiting in all areas of life, we take from this waiting joyful anticipation of what God's going to do for us. So we wait in repentance. We wait in joy. 
We look forward to see what God is going to do. Even if it's not in the timing we expected, even if it's not in the way that we had hopes or thought it should be, but we wait in hope and joy knowing that Jesus is going to do what he's promised. And that's a glorious thing. So whatever we're waiting for, if we're looking to Christ, it transforms our waiting. Changes the way we think about it. Changes the way we view everything that happens to us. I believe that's one of the things Advent is trying to drill into us over four weeks. Is that your waiting is not in vain. And that you can wait in joy and hope because Christ has already fulfilled his promises and come in the flesh and died and risen again for you. So you know, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he will come again. So the king is coming. And if he came and judged you in righteousness according to your own works, if he came and judged you by the intentions of your heart, by your secrets, by your whole being, if he judged you by this, who could stand? I don't think any one of us would raise our hands and be like, oh, me, I could withstand that. And yet we rejoice. For our king comes not in a war horse, not like other kings. He comes not for himself, but he comes in peace. For your peace. That you might have peace with God. So he rode on on that first Palm Sunday all the way to the cross that he might spill his precious blood out of his great love for you. And as he does so, he shows us how pathetic and flimsy our excuses and unrighteousness is. But instead he comes to be the Lord our righteousness. What a glorious phrase. The Lord our righteousness. That could be your theme for all of Advent. The Lord our righteousness. He comes to give you his righteousness because he knows yours will not do. Yours will not save you. You need his righteousness. And so he comes to give it to you. He comes to be it for you. What does St. Paul tells, tell us? That he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. What a glorious summary of Advents. We prayed several psalms this morning throughout the service. We prayed, show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. We prayed to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. The pointed psalm for today says, Psalm 24, that we're to open up the gates that the King of Glory may come in. As Jesus rode in on that first Palm Sunday, the crowds cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what God's people cry out when he's coming in. Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. 
And so our forefathers in their wisdom made that a part of the liturgy so we sing it as Christ comes to us with his body and blood in the Holy Supper. He comes in riding in what appears to be lowly bread and wine, but with it is his precious body and blood. That he might give you his righteousness. That he might be your righteousness. That he might give you life and peace and forgiveness. That he might fill you with hope. He comes to be your righteousness because he is the Lord your righteousness. And so let us prepare to celebrate his first coming. Let us prepare to receive him gladly and joyfully at his second coming. And let us prepare even now to receive him in his holy supper. We prayed a moment ago, stir up your power, O Lord, and come, that by your protection we may be rescued from the threatening perils of our sins and saved by your mighty deliverance. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come. He answers that prayer. He's answered it for you more times than you can possibly even imagine. He comes and he rescues you again and again and again, and he doesn't tire of it. He comes to rescue you now. He will come and rescue you on the last day. So we celebrate Advent in joy and hope. Amen. <coughs> the peace of God passes on understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.